I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly... Uh, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things that we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And Dori and I are not experts. No, we're not. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We really do. And before we dig into the show. Um, here's our rundown of things you need to know. Our website is forever35podcast.com. Anything we mention is going to be on there, good or bad. The link will be there. <laughs> good or bad. You can follow us on Twitter at forever35pod and on Instagram at forever35podcast. And we've got a delightful, always growing Forever 35 Facebook group where the password to get in is serums. Serums indeed. That's it. Just the word serums is all you need to know. You can also hear from us via newsletter. You can sign up for that at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. And we love to hear from you. It's how we 
make the show. So if you'd like to reach us, you can leave us a voicemail or a text at 781-591-0390, or you can email us or send us a voice memo or send us a picture or a PDF. We don't care. We like it all. And that email address is forever35podcast at gmail.com. And in fact, we're going to be talking about an email that we received just today. Yeah. Hot off the press. Hot off the jeans. So, Kate, before we get into anything, I just want to say we are going to be announcing the very exciting pre-order incentives for Thanks for Waiting. Dory Shafrir's memoir. Dory Shafrir's memoir, The Joy and Weirdness of Being a Late Bloomer, out from Valentine, June 29th. These very exciting pre-order incentives are going to be announced in our newsletter tomorrow. Oh, what a tie-in. What a tie-in. So, if you are not signed up for the newsletter, scurry on over to forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter so you can get in on that. I don't want to give too much away, but all I will say is... <clears throat> Kate Spencer is involved. Yes. <laughs> I'm part of it. Kate is part of it. It's 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 gonna be super fun. So yeah. So if you haven't pre-ordered my book yet, please pre-order it. And if you have pre-ordered, there will be instructions about how to get in on the pre-order incentives in the newsletter tomorrow. So sorry yeah, for the baby. sidebar, but I just wanted to mention that. Pre-ordering Dory's book is a fun way to spend more time with us, maybe. Yes, it is an act of self-care. That's right. It all comes pre-ordering back to my that, book Dory. It's an act of self-care. <laughs> I mean, look, it's not a stretch. Uh, no, it is. No. Although I, I did want to announce Dory. I did want to kind of make a bold announcement. Okay. Okay, hold on. Everyone, this was not cleared with me ahead of time. Nope. Um, I didn't seek your approval on this one. So I don't know what's coming up. So I just took a nice, refreshing sip of water out of my 38-ounce, simple, modern tumbler that I've discussed, Dory. And I wanted to give you some exciting news, which is that I've been drinking water with mint leaves in it. Ooh, yum. And it's very refreshing. That sounds delightful. So I think a lot of times when people are like, I want to drink more water, but ugh, water is just so watery. Yeah. It just tastes so watery. Throw some mint leaves in there and give yourself, give your mouth a vacation. So on today's episode, we're actually going to kick things off by by discussing an email that we received. So uh, if you are listening to this right when it comes out, this episode is airing a few days before Mother's Day. And, you know, we touched on our mixed feelings about Mother's Day on a mini episode recently after a listener wrote in about a challenging mother-in-law who likes to be celebrated. But, you know, today, later on in the episode, we're interviewing Anna Sale, who is the fantastic host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money and the author of a wonderful new book called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And it turns out it's so good. It's really, it's good. really good. And uh, sorry, Kate, I just have to say, like, it was just such a 
such a joy having Anna on the podcast. Like, I think we did to her the thing that people sometimes do to us, which is like, it's so weird to see your face. I'm so used to listening to your voice. Yeah, it was like almost strange to me that she has a human form because (laughs) her voice is so like specific and soothing and like... it was just all, it was felt very surreal to discover that she is a person. Yes. I mean, and speaking of, yes. And speaking of buying books as acts of self-care, her book really is an act of self-care. So I, I recommend it. Anyway, sorry, Kate, I keep distracting us. It's okay, Tori. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So Great. we, so we got this email and it addressed a hard thing. And I thought, I thought maybe it might be a good time to kind of dig deeper into this. Um, So let me read it. And then I think we'll go from there. A listener wrote us today, actually. Hi, pals. Thank you so much for focusing this week's activity on self-care planning for Mother's Day. This was in reference to our mini episode. I have been dreading Mother's Day this year. My mom is dying of early onset Alzheimer's and I miss her so much, even though she's still here. And I had a miscarriage two months ago that I've had a really hard time coping with. I'm also Mm. a nurse and totally burnt out from the last year. So I have no ideas on how to take care of myself on Mother's Day. What are you or other listeners doing for Mother's Day self-care? I would love some ideas. Mm. So I think it's first good just to acknowledge that, well, Mother's Day and then Father's Day, which is also looming right around the bend, can be wonderful days of celebration. They also are extraordinarily painful for a lot of people. And I I don't really know. I never, I never even, I mean, until I lost my own mom, I don't think I realized how hard it would be to get through Mother's Day and how many people were struggling for a variety of reasons. And Dory, I know that you've had this experience as someone living with infertility and having Mother's Day roll around. Yeah, there were a couple. And I had a similar thing, Kate, in that you know, I had never fully wrapped my head around how hard Mother's Day is for a lot of people. Of course, because, you know, I'm a selfish person. So until it happened to me, I was like, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, there were a couple Mother's Days in there. I would say the two prior to getting pregnant with Henry were very hard for me. And yeah, so I don't know. I I see you, people who, for whom this day is tough. Yeah, so do I. Um, And I'm wondering, Dory, did you, when you went into those days, did you do anything or did you schedule anything on Mother's Day specifically to kind of care for yourself during that day, knowing it would be hard? (sighs) That is a really good question. I'm actually just looking at my calendar from Mother's Day 2018. What did you do? It looks like I went to restorative yoga. Oh, see? Yep. That's so nice. Yep. And let's see, what was I doing in 2017? Uh, I had a busy Sunday in 2017. (laughs) What did you do on Mother's Day four years ago? We had brunch with another couple who okay. also who don't have children. Um, 
I did a podcast interview because it was right after my book had come out. And I went to restorative yoga. Oh, look at this theme that's emerging yeah. for you. Yeah. So well, there's Dory's suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> a gentle physical practice. Yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, I think that, that was very important and grounding for me at that time. I had one Mother's Day. I think it was the second one after my mom died where I went to yoga because yoga was very like therapeutic and healing for me always, but especially during those first few years after my mom died. And I didn't know this, but the yoga class was a like, bring your mom, you get to come for free. So there were just like oh my God. mothers every, mothers and daughters oh my God. packing into this class. And I was like, oh, fuck me. I like it was just it's just like at every turn, a trigger of my grief. That is like out of a movie. It was it was now I can look back and laugh, but it has been a very long time. It's been so upsetting for you. It was very hard. So the the first Mother's Day after my mom had passed away, I very actively planned what I was going to do. Like I ran a road race in Central Park. I had brunch scheduled with a small group of friends, including my husband. Um, I've done stuff like that where I have really tried to schedule the day out and make sure it's about me nurturing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was before I became a mom myself. It has changed since becoming a mother. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important thing is to take care of yourself in whatever way that means. Like that might just mean being sad on the couch and yeah. watching Call Your Call My Agent, which is very good. My sister started watching it. Dory is right about this, everybody. I just feel like I'm going to constantly be mentioning how right Dory was. But I, I really, I, you know, I think specifically to what this listener is presenting in having experienced miscarriage and loss in that yeah. way, it, go, being a nurse during COVID, and then that. I don't, I've never had a parent or a person close to me with Alzheimer's, but I did, there was a short time when my mom was dying where she was in this like in-between phase where she was not a per, not herself anymore, but she was still alive and it was very strange. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of sympathize with, with what this listener is speaking about. And that is just must, it must just be a devastating um, way to experience your relationship with your parent to have to go through that. So yeah, I would say like, if there is something that's going to make you feel good, whether it's reflecting on your relationship with your mom or not, focus on just getting through. Yeah. And if <sighs> you, you know, for some people that might mean like going to work that day for other people, it right. might mean like right. getting a massage. Right. But it's really hard. And I, I think another important thing that, people can do is um kindly acknowledge to others that it might be hard for them mm-hmm. i always appreciate when people note that and it's like hard for fucking everybody mm-hmm. anyway <sighs> so you know if people have other suggestions of like concrete rituals or things you could do kind of note the day. I would love to hear them. I, I'm I'm really curious. And and same with Father's Day, same with other sorts of like anniversaries or 
celebrations that actually end up being very emotionally challenging. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff like this. Yeah. And I mean, God, Dory, the freaking emails. I've, I've never, this year is worse than any other year. The, the like promotional emails. Yeah. And I, you know, to be honest, I have even been really sensitive about it when reading advertisements that we're recording because some of the ad yeah. copy we've received has specifically asked us to focus it on Mother's Day. And I, whenever that happens, I always, and same with Father's Day, I always try to modify the language a little bit to make mm-hmm. it more inclusive because it's really hard having to sit through a podcast and then have be like hey everybody totally mom this year you know like now i'm I'm part of the machine yeah yeah (sighs) Hmm. well it's a hard thing but luckily we have an expert on hard things coming to talk to us today we do so as we were saying a little bit ago our guest today is anna sale of the death sex and money podcast and the author of the new book let's talk about hard things and oh i just love talking to her so much so yeah we take talk a sh- about hard things with her sorry we I didn't do inter- interrupt you no no we- i was just gonna say we're gonna take you know i don't want, i don't want to delay getting to her any longer no, so let's get to her we're gonna take a short break and we will be right back 
Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be 
redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Our guest today is the one and only Anna Sale. Anna, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thank you for being here. If you do not know Anna or you don't recognize her voice, she is the creator and host of Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. And before launching Death, Sex, and Money, Anna covered politics for nearly a decade. She has contributed to Fresh Air with Terry Gross and This American Life and is the author of the new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things. She grew up in West Virginia and now lives in Berkeley, California with her husband and two daughters. And we were just chatting before we started recording just telling Anna what big fans we are of Death, Sex, and Money and how exciting it is to have you here on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks very much. Let's start the same way we start with the vast majority of our guests. Um, (laughs) We would love to hear about a self-care ritual that you have. This is so basic. It's like embarrassing, but it feels like a revelation to me. Um, I... I work East Coast hours, so I wake up before the rest of my family and hop on a call Mm. at 7 a.m. Pacific time because the rest of my team's in New York. And somehow, more than a year into all working from home, I just realized that I should take a walk while I do that morning call, (laughs) which is like... Just so basic, mm-hmm. but I have found, you know, I just, my, my time working is so, can be so focused and intense because I know I have a really hard cutoff when there's preschool pickup. So just to get outside and walk the dog while we're doing that conference call and just kind of talking about the plan for the day as a team, um, it's just been, it just helps me feel more human. But it feels like a pathetic self-care thing because I'm still working. <laughs> I'm not really doing anything. <laughs> That's not that I'm not sure how much that counts, but it is it is a small thing that I'm noticing has a marked improvement in in how I feel. Well, we have to squeeze it in where we can, right? I mean, I feel like it's all about it can't be all or nothing. Yeah. So it seems reasonable that you would do it while you work. I think that's actually very wise. Thank you. <laughs> Can I can I ask a question about it? Do you tell your team or was there ever any point where you felt guilty or like you weren't weren't going to be focusing? I feel like a lot of those thoughts tend to run through my head personally whenever I do any kind of ounce of self-care while also working. Yeah, it's so 
like I found the first time that someone was like, oh, it's in Slack. And I was like, oh, I'm walking. I'm not looking at my computer while I'm on the call. It like, or I'm not looking at my calendar while I'm on the call. Um, it felt a little bit like, am I, am I, am I doing work the right way? Should, am I, am I getting, did I just get caught, um, cheating? But, uh, it's really not that big a deal. <laughs> like, it's funny that I felt weird about it and like I was doing a wrong thing. But, um, actually, when you're walking and talking, I think you are more open and can be less rigid. Me, I can be less rigid. I can be more like, oh, you know, than when you're in that mode of like, what is the immediate to do thing? Because we're talking about something, I'm going to start typing while we're talking. Um, I think it actually makes me a better worker. I also love that it's a phone call and not a Zoom. Oh, yeah. Bring back the call. Love the phone call. Yeah. Bring back the call. Yeah. yeah. Enough with all these Zooms. My goodness. <laughs> Um, Anna, on your show, as you say, uh, you, you know, you, these are things that we think about a lot and need to talk about more and, and they're often very emotionally raw topics. And so I'm wondering what does self-care look like for you when you are kind of getting people to open up so much and, having to sort of live through vicariously some of this trauma yourself. How does that feel? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I usually feel at the end of a hard interview, say if it's, if it's someone who has like, it's clear that they're still very much in the raw feelings of pain. Um, you know, those are the ones that take a lot out of me where you just like, especially in the last year when you're working from home and you just like close the recording session and all of a sudden it's you in your yeah. back bedroom, like going like, Oh, I just hope this person, I want to know what this person is doing next. I want to know if they have a friend who they're going to be able to talk to. I want to know if they're, someone's going to feed them a nice meal. Yeah. So that's sort of where I go. And, and I think the thing that um I really like about working from home is I, Again, I I have a, my kids are f uh, almost five and almost two and a half, so they don't care what I have gone through while I've been working. They're just like, I want a snack, I want to walk around the neighborhood. No, I want to turn left. I don't want to turn right. I want to like that. You know, I want to go to this playground, not that <laughs> playground, and just getting to like be. It's just so in the moment with them, um, and I actually find, you know, yeah. it's not. I'm not like laying down with cucumber slices on my eyes as a way of relaxing, but it does really, it gets me out of my head in a way that um, is really nice because um, also I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm not doing anything else, but playing with them, you know, like there's nothing else I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be doing when I'm in our afternoon yep. time. Like, um, it gets a little hairier when yeah. it gets to like dinner time and making dinner and that kind of thing. But for that, for that like 90 minutes of like, you know, three 30 to five, yeah. we just get to be together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on a recent episode, the episode that actually came out today, um, you said that being a parent has changed the way you interview. Mm -hmm. How has it changed the way you interview? Well, I was, I wasn't really, I didn't really expect this, but I, 
I think so much of like, um, when I'm talking to one person, I think more about the family unit that they might come from and what, how whatever they have been through has been an experience that perhaps other people in their family are experiencing. Like I often think when someone is talking to me about something mm. hard or challenging, I think like, do their parents know? How do their parents show up, not show up? Like mm. how, how heartbreaking must this be for their parents to not be able to protect them from this? Um, and mm. so I think it's made me, it's kind of like, it's made me have a little bit more um, awareness of like the multi dimensions, multiple dimensions of perspective on one story, you know, because I'm immediately thinking like, Oh, how does yeah. their child think about this? How does their parent think about this? You know, and not just being, you know, t solely focusing on this one person's version of the narrative. Can we talk a little bit about, coming up with the idea for death sex and money yeah why did you want to create this show which i will say dory and i both love but what those three words are like three of my biggest <laughs> scary words <laughs> what was it about these three topics in particular that really resonated with you to the point that you felt called to talk about it in this way yeah i mean it's I, what I remember about coming up with the name of the show was I was like walking around. I was walking the dog and I was thinking, you know, I'd been covering politics for a long time. And the thing that I most liked about covering politics was that thing that you could do where you could be like, the politician is saying this, but here's really what's happening. You know, there's this version of like, you're, I'm helping middle class families and da 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 da. And like, actually, here's what's happening. Here's the impact of the policies that they're supporting. And here's who's funding their campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. And so I sort of was like, all this, all these personal interviews that I hear, like, I want to know more about the actual stuff that like, is really going on. Like, why doesn't anybody ever talk about how they covered mm. their rent when they were figuring out like, how to be this best selling novelist? Like, where'd that money come from? You know, and because um, that's a really interesting story. It was something I was thinking about a lot um, in my early 30s in New York City. How did people do this. Um, and then I thought, you know, and I, I remember thinking about eulogies and the things that people, you know, if you were going to sum up someone's life in a 15 minute talk, you're going to talk about who they loved and who loved them. You're going to talk about the work they did in the world and what its impact was. You're going to, you're going to refer to some of the hard moments and the rough patches, and then you're going to the fact is that it's over. And so I was like, why do we at the end of life say like, these are the most important touchstones, but there's just not enough journalistic inquiry into what's happening as it's unfolding. And so that was sort of the idea. And then when I thought like, what, what are the three, like how what would it be named? And I thought death, sex and money. And then I realized that was DSM. And I thought that was like, funny that it was like the DSM-4, the DSM-5, like the um, manual of psychiatric conditions. I thought that was kind of funny. And and also like kind of like laughed at the boldness of it. Like, what if you just said this is a show about death, sex and money? Like, what happens then? <laughs> you know? um, so it was kind of like, yeah, let's roll our sleeves up and do this. And also a little bit like, you know, um, 
I think it's it has a little edge of humor because it's not just like it could have been called the most important things or something, which is just like a little too earnest. I wanted a little like edge, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You, you succeeded. <laughs> like even just saying it now, I'm like, Ooh. I mean, the, mo- the most hilarious thing is sometimes like my the four-year-old nice says is- it out. She's like, death, sex, and money. And I'm like, oh, that's a little strange. <laughs> you know? yeah. Coming out of a small person's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, you wrote a whole book about these topics. Yeah. Well, it has your le- like comfort level in dealing with them increased? Because you're- throughout your book, you also were talking about your own life. Yeah. I mean, I think what I have gotten more comfortable with is, um, and what I kind of discovered while I was writing, I was like, what do I want to say here? Like, what what is something that's important to keep in mind if you're having a hard conversation about money or a hard conversation about family or identity? Like, what do I want to say? And I I found that like, oh, if I start each of these big chapters, death, sex, money, family, and identity with with like, here's what is hard about this topic, and you're going to have this impulse to make this part of it not hard, but you can't. Like, death mm. is death. It is not a loss you can fix. It is not an end you can get around. It is there. And so if you kind of look at that and then say like, oh, my friend who just lost her mother suddenly, like, what is the thing that I can say? I, I don't have the responsibility of making it not hard in the ways that I want to comfort her. I Instead, I can say yeah. something like, I can just, I, I love you. I'm so sorry. Um, here's, here's how I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to call you every, every few weeks and just check in. You don't have to answer, but like, you know, some some way of like going in with someone around the hard thing and being alongside them instead of saying something, which I understand why, because you want to make people feel better. You want to you might end up saying like um, she's not suffering anymore or, um, you know, at least she she lived a long life. You know, that's not what you want to hear when all of a sudden your mom who was here is not here anymore. You have a lot of you know, you've got a lot of feelings to, to move through. And so, um, to figure out how to be that friend who is the one who's like, Oh, are you really angry? You know, who, who you're angry today. Tell me about that. You're mad today. You're depressed today. Like you're actually feeling better today. Like let's mm-hmm. be together in this. Um, you know, another example is money. Like one of the things we, we can't talk about money because we don't like to say out loud that people have different amounts. <laughs> You know, something that basic, like we want to pretend in our personal relationships that like, you know, we somehow all, you know, have this idea, you know, if you, if you write down your dreams and make vision boards and, um, you know, use your resources wisely, your dreams can come true. That's, that's actually not true. Like people, people move through life with different access to different resources and instead like, what would it be like if when you're talking to a friend or a coworker who's like trying to figure out how do I start my podcast? Like, 
like to say, I try to say things like, well, here's what was going on with me. Like, uh, I never had to quit my job at WNYC. So I didn't have to, like, I got to move from covering politics to making this show. So that meant I didn't have to go through those feelings of like, how am I going to pay my rent three months in? Like, but, you know, if you do it the other way, you're going to build something you own like you all do. And there's a lot of benefit to that as well. So like, let's talk about trade-offs and things like that. Um, right. So I guess what I, what, what doing the show and making the book has made me just more comfortable with is like, here's, here's all the things I don't have to try to do in a hard conversation. I don't have to like make these things not hard, but I can show up and be, um, uh, I think I've gotten more comfortable in that space of not being able to have the thing to say that's going to make it better or fix it. Like, and instead just like, let's describe what's going on right now. You know, I really appreciated your whole chapter on death. And Mm -hmm. I thought one thing that was really interesting that you talked about that isn't always talked about, um, is the way that we are really not conditioned to talk to people about death. We're only like the language we use is is often about the disease or finding a cure. And often the conversation about, you know, finding a cure or fighting it is happening as the person is dying. Right. But we're the way we have been kind of taught to approach it is not to really even acknowledge the existence of death or looming death. and. I'm, I would love to know your thoughts after kind of, you know, especially with a lot of the people that you interviewed talking to them. How do you think we can, as individuals, kind of open up our own understanding around death and dying? Um, especially because oftentimes the way we're experiencing it is through, um, social media or through media and not as often as, you know, in our own lives, especially right now in COVID. Yeah. This is like 50 questions in one. (laughs) Sorry, but (laughs) that's okay. I thought you handled it really well. Thank you. I mean, what, what that question made me think about was, um, it's like a a study of the psychological well-being of caregivers who took care of, um, people at end of life, people they loved at end of life. And something that was, I thought was really interesting was they separated out the experience of managing the logistics of the care with like, did you, what, what, did you have, um, did you have conversations and, and talk about the emotional impact of, of the end of life and death and how, when you do the one thing, even when you're really close up to someone declining and approaching death and you're doing all of them a very intimate physical care and seeing it, if there's not a parallel conversation about, um, you know, what are you, are, are, what are you afraid of right now? Do you want to talk? Like I, you know, just like having a conversation between the two of you, um, then grief is a lot more complicated. Complicated grief is like a term that, that therapists use. Complicated grief is, um, just all grief I think is complicated, but that's, <laughs> that's an actual term that they use to describe sort of just like kind of grief that you can get stuck in and, and, um, um, and, and can be more, more sort of critical in a critical stage for a longer period of time. Um, so I guess what I would say is, you know, I, I don't have a really straightforward answer, but, um, I do think it's okay to 
like try to sort of open the topic with someone you love who's like even if they're not dying if they're just getting old like it can be so scary to say yeah. like you know you're you're noticing the ways someone you love is slowing down a little bit or you know walking a little bit more with tender steps and you notice all that stuff but it can feel like you're being rude if you admit it like you're somehow um you know um insulting them or or could hurt their dignity um and i, I it, it while i was working on the book i i sort of challenged myself to talk to a really dear friend of mine who's who's now 89 she was in her mid 80s when we talked in the book um just to say like what's this like for you you know um and and to hear she'd been sick and then she'd recovered and she she had a lot to say about what she had you know thought about because she'd not she'd she sort of had an experience of illness of getting sick enough that she realized oh my god i am gonna die you know which to me in my 30s interviewing her Mm -hmm. a woman in her mid-80s i you know you sort of have this idea like by that time surely you're more comfortable with the idea of death like but no (laughs) it's still a surprise um so so i think it's about like having sort of conversations where you acknowledge like you know aging or illness and I sort of see where the person is that you want to talk you, that you're that you want to have a kind of deeper conversation. You know, you can't force it because if someone doesn't want to to go there with you, um it can be, you know, you'll know. You'll see where they don't want to talk about it, you know, even someone who's maybe has a terminal diagnosis if they have not accept, you know, if that ha- that like integrated that idea um, moving out of the sort of we're going to fight this together can be really can be hard. But um, I think it's just about kind of trying to sort of have the kind of open converse, uh, maybe the open question, just like, wow, what was it like when maybe it's asking, you know, what was it like when this person, when you said goodbye to this person, you know, maybe have like sort of parallel conversations about their experiences with death and see where that goes and just sort of feel around. And then when when you hear if you hear a like a prompt that like they're they they say something about their own death like don't flinch from that like talk about it even though it's probably going to be scary for you um a doctor talked to me about that for the book about you know he's a primary care physician and he tries to get his older patients to really sort of think about end of life planning um and it's a delicate opening the opening is really hard you're reading what someone is ready to talk about but um but he says, you know, as soon as they acknowledge, say the word death, I'm like, I go in, <laughs> you know, and then I say, well, let's talk about that. Like, what do you picture <laughs> for ready. yourself? You know, like just when you have and you get a little sense that that door is cracked open, um, you know, that's that's an opportunity. Well, and also, as you point out, not everyone has a period where they are sick. Yeah. Some people die yeah. suddenly and unexpectedly. And if you haven't had those conversations at all that can be especially difficult i think yeah i mean i think um you know if you haven't had the experience in the last year of having someone in your social circle who was healthy and then was sick and died um i'm really happy for you but a lot of people have had that experience um 
And I think uh, it's it's shattering. It's hard. Um, and and I think yeah. your question about social media, like how to express care with social media, like what I've I have experienced death. That's the way I've experienced death most in my life up to this point is like all of a sudden you see the Facebook post that, you know, your friend from high school died suddenly or all of a sudden you see the Facebook post that uh, a friend of yours lost their parent. Um, you know, and I, I have this sort of like line that I say in a post like, oh, you're you're in my heart or I love, you know, da 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 da. So, some like sort of I try to like walk the line of respecting whatever their religious beliefs are with my religious beliefs, you know, that kind of weird line. Um, but I've sort of challenged myself to like do, yes. do that follow-up call, you know, do that a week later, just say, mm. Hey, I'm thinking about you, you know? Um, and it, it can be really, it's important. Yeah. One thing that I also appreciated uh, that you wrote about in that chapter was kind of destigmatizing the idea that we are like, we're curious why people die mm -hmm. and that's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I always feel a little guilty, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot going on when we all, when we're like, wait, what happened? How did that person die? Cause I want to make sure I'm not going to die. <laughs> You know, yeah. like Freud wrote about that, you know, like, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think that there is a sort of like, kind of like, sh shamey way that we feel about that. Um, but I do think this is something Alicia Garza talked about. Um, it's just the importance of naming how someone, why someone is gone, you know, yeah. um, sometimes that's to say, you know, she talks about the importance for her of saying like, this person was murdered by a police officer. I'm not going to like, that's the language that she uses. She, yeah. She's, um, if you're not familiar, the activist who coined the term Black Lives Matter. And she also talks about, you know, like being in Oakland and how people, she uses the term that people in her neighborhood and her community like die of neglect. People of her community die, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of gun violence. Like um, just the ways in which you think about naming what happened Um can is is important you know and then i also think oh man like there have been a lot of people in my life um who have had an experience of losing someone uh because of drug addiction um and um mm -hmm. i just think you know when you see someone s figure out the words to say like this is how we lost this person and this was their struggle and this was what happened um, and and figuring out how to both um, honor and express love for the who the person was and what the struggle was for them. Um, it's just uh, how powerful that can be, like for people who are who are who love who are, who are either in addiction themselves or who love someone in addiction. Like to see, you know, that that's I think been a big part of advancing the conversation about how we think about um drug addiction and and um as an illness uh, as opposed to a moral failing like to figure out how to be more open about what happened yeah i loved um i loved your the the conversation with alicia garza 
and how she talked about kind of using ritual to really acknowledge and honor and how language was a part of that. And then also talking to her about how losing her friend and how there was a lot of guilt in that experience and how she kind of, and I wouldn't say resolved it because it's not a resolution, but but kind of figured out a way to acknowledge the grief she was feeling. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, she had the experience, you know, she's a young woman, um, a friend of hers from college. She like got a text from like, I'm in town. Can I come see you? And they didn't connect. And then Alicia found out um, a day or so later that her friend, Joy de la Cruz, who is a poet, um, had died in a car accident. And Alicia had both the sort of shock of that experience of like, oh, I didn't see her, you know, like we didn't connect. And then also she became the sort of um, middle of the spoke of the middle hub of the wheel to tell all of their friends. So she had to sort of be the person who was telling everyone. Um, and what ended up happening, which was really hard, really, really hard. Um, and what ended up happening is uh, all of these friends of hers from college who knew Joy sort of gathered together um for a for a kind of to, to to have a memorial service and then they all just kind of kept hanging out for like a week and then it became this thing that they did year after year this is the way that they connected um and of course it didn't make the loss of joy less sad or you know the pain less acute but it became something that they could sort of gather around and be with each other in um, I, I, I love that story. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid 40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. 
OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Okay, we're back. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit to the sex chapter. Uh Um, Let's do it. I'm already (laughs) nervous. (laughs) One thing thing that you wrote um, in the chapter was learning to accept rejection is equally as important as learning how to give and ask for permission. What is so hard about rejection? How can we learn to accept it? I mean, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard because it's someone saying, I don't want you. <laughs> you know, that's the hardest. It's the hardest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, or that can be the way it feels. Of course, a lot of times it's like, I got a lot going on and, you know, you really don't yes. want me if you knew, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I, I, I try to. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, the way I think about why sex conversations are so hard is because that is the thing. Like you are trying to figure out what do I want to do with this person? Like, you know, both sort of from a physical standpoint and also like what kind of vision do I have for what our companionship might look like? Is it monogamous? Is it long-term? Is it, you know, are we going to have babies together? Like what, what do I want? And then running right alongside that, this other person is like, taking a look at you and saying like, what do I want? What do I want with this person? And, you know, and, and the only way you can figure out if those match up uh, is by putting words to it, you know, um, because like, I think mm. even when you're first getting together, even if it's hot and steamy and like, you can tell everybody's into it. I think it's important to also just like have those words to be like, can I do this? Can I do this in that sexy way? And just a, a affirmative consent. Um, and so I, I, if if you recognize that that's what's happening and like the hard thing about a sex conversation is like, you might not end up wanting the same thing. Like um, that's what rejection is. It's when you wanted something with this person that they don't yeah. want. And um and there's, and you sometimes just desperately wish they would, you know, something would change the sort of like, they would go from black and white to color, like it would just switch and they would see what you see, but um, you can't. Every relationship we yeah. have that's yes. not with a partner who we, you yes. know, die with or who dies on us, like every other relationship ends with somebody saying, 
I want something different than this, or I don't want this. Like, um, yes. And when you refuse to hear it, there can be really like damaging consequences, you know? Well, and I might be getting this slightly jumbled, but I think later in the chapter, you also talk about how it's like not the person who rejected us's responsibility to make us feel better. Yeah. About the rejection. Yeah. I mean, we can ask them. We can be like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can say like, I just really need to right. understand what happened, <laughs> sure. you know, and maybe they can say something. But but really, yeah. that's not going to be the person, you know, who's like, like, do you really want to hear someone saying like, yeah, actually, I looked at you and realized I didn't want to be with you. <laughs> like you don't. That's not going to make you feel Ooh, better, right. you right. know, or like even like, right. so it's kind of like, um, but we think because they did it that they can undo it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in your book, you write about how your first marriage ended in part because you say you never really got it, like the values behind the way that you and your ex-husband thought about money. Um, can you just talk about kind of what that means and how can people have these conversations that get to the root of why they feel the way they do about money? I, this is really hard because I think the thing that I like that is really useful to me to think about is like money. We have one word for something that means all of the beliefs I have about stability and survival and um, interdependence and independence. That's one thing money means. And then the other thing money means is like, what are we going to do with these numbers? And are we going to put this here? And are we going to do this? Are we going to save this? You know, the personal finance sort of angle. And I like love, like for me, I'm like a, I just, I just love a, I love a spreadsheet when it comes to money. I like that feeling of control. And so I like can really do the like, should we save this in this account? And like, are you doing this for your retirement? And what about this? And should we save this for this? But if you're not talking about like where that fits into sort of the vision together, um, you're missing a lot. And um, then it can surprise you <laughs> when it, when like a huge fundamental yeah. misalignment comes up. And, and so I think, you know, I write in the book cause I was like, huh, did I get divorced because of money? Like that seems so boring and also just like really couldn't you just like figure it out you know um but i think another way is like yes we got divorced because of money because we we wanted our lives to look really different and that had huge consequences for how yeah. we thought about what kind of choices we needed to make when it came to you know, financial stability or, you know, where we were investing and where we were taking risks and that sort of thing. Like my story was I got married at 26 and um, my my first husband, when we met and, and when he got married, he was a civil rights lawyer. And, and the, a few years into our marriage, he um, he was like this creative person always, but he decided he wanted to go to film school in the middle of the recession. Uh, which was very hard for me. <laughs> it was very scary. Um, it was very, very scary. And it like all of the consequences of that, like he wanted to sort of like be wide open to the world and be open to projects all over and be a filmmaker. And I wanted what I thought we had 
decided we were going to have together, which was like, we're building a life, we're doing our jobs, and we're going to have a house, and we're going to have kids. And um, and it was like, when we finally had the argument where he said, we were on a small plane, and he said it loudly, and other people could hear, and it was horrifying and mortifying and sad. He was just like, I don't want what you want. You know, he just like said it. Um, And it was like, oh, okay. Like now that's on the table. Like, what does that mean? Like, can I want what you want? You know, we went to couples counseling, we did all the thing, read the books. Um, And slowly, once we were like scratching at the actual thing we were fighting over, we got to the place where it was like, we have had a great relationship and a great love and and a lot of great times together and it doesn't make sense for us to be married to each other forever we want different things and you got remarried and you have two daughters and you spent a chunk of the pandemic at your in-laws house in wyoming Mm -hmm. um recording sex and money from a closet (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, yes so what was that experience (laughs) Their closet, my in-laws' wow, bedroom okay. closet, because it was the so biggest. So, what was that experience like? And and did you did you have any? Did you have to have any hard conversations while you were there? You know, um, it was by and large, especially since uh, you know I haven't been with them now for since the fall. We were there for like the start of the pandemic through the summer, and since it's been several months, like now I just all I think back on is like what was so special and precious about that time together, you know, um, because we won't ever have that again, that extended period of living in a, I mean, as far as I know, I don't have an expectation that will happen, an extended period of, of like living as a Mm multi-generational family. And, um, they were one, they were wonderful. They like showed up and they were our childcare for the first few months of, uh, when all of that fell away. So um, they were wonderful. Uh, what was hard was like, it's hard to be a parent mm. while you're being watched. You know, that was the thing that was the hardest for me. And I think for Arthur is like, you know, um, where you, when you're like, because you end up sort of in this weird space of like being a little bit, protective of your own choices and style and then if it's not working and the child is acting out you're both sort of like so annoyed at the kid but also like protective of the kid because you don't want the grandparents to be judging the kid you know like it's so complicated so that was like the the thing that was yes yes. Uh, this is resonating (laughs) you know and like so um that was like the hardest thing because it just makes you, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's, I get it. It's, it's hard because like the grandparents are grandparents. So like they want to, you know, they want, they want to like be tender with the kids and they also don't want the kids to be yeah. a-holes, you know? So, so when they're, when they're jerks, like you're like, oh, come on, like don't, don't be a jerk at the dinner table when we're all together. Like eat your food. Like as we've talked about, sit in your seat and eat your food. And then when you try like one intervention, like here's the timer, eat your food. And the timer doesn't work. You know, it just becomes this thing of like, oh, I'm just being watched while the things I'm trying as a parent aren't working. 
And that makes me feel a little bit sensitive, you know. Um, But that was like really, that was the hardest part for us because a lot of the other stuff that could have been really hard, they just were incredible and just, and, and, and helpful, Mm. like figuring out how to be helpful. And I find like, wow, when you have in-laws who like can see the little spaces where they can like fold the laundry that's in that hamper just cause without in a way that like makes you feel overly parented, but the, all of a sudden the laundry is folded. It's like, Oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. <laughs> like, that's the best. <laughs> <sighs> well, Anna, I, I feel like we could talk to you for another few hours, but we should probably let you go. <laughs> but this is, this has really been such a treat to get to talk to you. And can you tell our listeners um, where they can find you and find your book that just came out and listen to your podcast? Yeah. So you can um, find the show at deathsexmoney.org. And there, if you're not already subscribed, you can connect to whatever podcast player you use and subscribe. And we also have like all the archives going back to 2014 and a starter kit if you want to just like go into the to the episodes we love the best. Um, and my book is called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And you can get it wherever you buy books. And if you go to, um, I think it's the link on my Twitter page, it's the bookshop.org link is uh, if you don't know where you want to buy it, buy it from the link on my Twitter, which is at Anna Sale. And it goes to support Taylor Books in Charleston, West Virginia, which is the bookstore where I had my first job. So we should all buy our copies of the book from them. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Uh, Well, thank you, Anna. Again, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. <sighs> well, that was a dream. I, I think this is such a necessary book. I agree. It's really great. And also, you know, a lot of us grew up in homes or communities where, like, we didn't talk about hard things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still hard to talk about hard things. Yeah, I mean, not no by definition. That's why they're hard. <laughs> you know, it is. It is. But like, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking of different scenarios for people I know where, like, let's say somebody died and then they were never talked about again because it was too painful to discuss. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also always a good reminder for me to not like tiptoe around death in particular mm. when i when i know someone who is close to someone who died you know interesting do you feel like a, you're a tiptoer about death <sighs> i feel like i don't always know how to bring it up I but know, now so i awkward. feel like i have i i'm i'm armed with like better scripts so yeah i feel that way about um money mm-hmm. like i still don't know how to, it, that's still such a learning process for me mm-hmm. so if you are if you are feeling any of these things um we cannot recommend this book enough yeah. she's just the coolest 
Well, let's move on to the intention zone. Yeah, because you've got some food to tell me about. Quickles? What are quickles? Quick pickles. Okay. Set the scene. Dory. Dory's intention last week was to cook a recipe from past guest Julia Tertian's new cookbook. Yeah, so I had already cooked something. I'd made the fish cakes, which were a hit. Okay. And my, my intention was to just cook something else from her cookbook. So I made the sesame rice bowls with tofu, quickles, and peanut sauce. And they were easy, definitely easy to make. I thought they were pretty good. I don't know if I will make this again, to be perfectly honest. Okay. I will probably make the fish cakes again. Mm, okay. Okay. Which surprised, like, if you had asked me between the two of these, which one I would like better, I would have said the sesame rice bowls. But in fact, I think I like the fish cakes better. So there we go. Live and learn. Live and learn. So this week, my intention is um, I think we're going to take a weekend getaway. Now, by we, do you mean yourself, your husband, and your child? Or was yes. this just a not just retreat? Not just me and my husband. I think okay. the three of us are going to go away. So, you know, it's not going to be like super relaxing, but I really just need like a change of scenery, which I have not yeah. had in a very long time. So um, my intention is to plan that this week. Mm, that sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. Can yeah. Can I come? Sure. Do you want to be Henry's babysitter all weekend? Would it, would it be weird if I was also there? I mean, I would babysit. that would be fun. Henry and I could go for walks and you guys, yeah. could, you know, sleep. Yeah. Great. <sighs> well, I hope you I hope you figure that out, because I, I do think you guys could use a I think a break sounds lovely. Thank you so much. It is deserved. <sighs> thank you. Thank you. Um, how did planning your summer go? Good. So I am embarking on a cross-country journey with my children this summer where we are going to do some resting and spending time with family members we haven't seen in a very long time. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, But I there's a lot of logistical stuff. So I am feeling on top of it, which is good. And this week, oh, I'm like nervous about this intention, but I'm going to start trying to meal plan again. If you've been around these woods long enough, these Forever 35 woods, you've heard me mention that I like meal planning, but that went out the window like five months ago. And I have been heavily relying on like HelloFresh to feed me and my family. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of at the point where I, I think I'm ready to revisit what it means to like plan out our meals and cook. And I don't know, like... I, I, actually, I will say like HelloFresh has been great and my kids really like a lot of the meals, which has been amazing. In fact, like I've had to go and replicate one of the meals that my daughter liked so much, figure out how to make it myself. So kudos to you, HF. But mm -hmm. I think I'm ready to like figure this out on my own or at least try. Yeah. You know, at least try. I went to a grocery store the other day. That felt great. So... I don't know. Will this be a disaster? Will we all end up just eating chicken nuggets every night? Will remains to be seen. We had pizza last night. Uh, you know, whatever it takes. Well, I'm excited. 
I'm excited well, for you. And you know what? I might actually, I think I'm going to make those fish, those fish cakes. Oh, they're super easy. Yeah. I think I might do that. So uh, stay tuned. I'll report back. I can't wait to hear. All right. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We hope you have a lovely day. And Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Sam Reed is our project manager and our network partner is Acast. And we will talk to you later. Bye.